Hello and welcome to the Doghouse episode 11. We're continuing our deep dive into agriculture following last week's episode where uh, we spoke to Professor Budhimarambe, Senior Professor of Crop Science. A very informative session, but I am glad to be back in Colombo and to be joined on in the Doghouse this week by my colleague Amalini De Sera. So, Amalini, the two of us embarked on a 1600 almost, maybe slightly more. kilometer long journey across the agricultural belt of Sri Lanka and a lot of what we witnessed then uh, this is from the 1st to the 7th of April a lot of what we witnessed then uh, and what the farmers were telling us would happen is now coming to pass we're seeing major crop losses uh, the yellow season has essentially been written off uh, the yellow season is the ongoing season the maha season they had some fertilizer to work with with stocks that they had in reserve uh, but things are looking very dire yesterday the united nations launched an appeal uh, to raise funds for sri lanka they are looking to raise about 47 million dollars the world food program has issued a report its latest market monitor for uh, sri lanka and one of the key takeaways from that was that 80% of households in sri lanka are now opting for cheaper alternatives when it comes to their regular food consumption and this could have a knock on effect obviously on malnutrition uh, in the months and maybe even the years to come a uh, long ranging impact of a decision that was made overnight so lini let's start with why we went on this journey Uh, from the 1st to the 7th of April, just quick recap, we visited the Hambantota district, the Ampara district, Norelia, Polunnaruwa and Jaffna. Lini, just take us through why we went on this. What was the purpose of this field visit? I think that both of us remember trying to narrow down locations to go on this journey and it was extremely difficult because it was a case of Okay, if we go here, do we have to go here? Do we have to cover this crop? Do we have to cover this type of terrain? Um, so it was with a lot of discussion that we ended up with these five places. But what we have, what you will hear about in today's conversation, and what you will read about in a series of uh, articles that will go up on uh, Watchdog Team in the coming weeks, is kind of represents to the best of our abilities the diversity within. the sri lankan kind of agricultural sphere we met a, a wide range of people from farmers to people who own the land that people farm on to people uh, from say small uh, non governmental organizations doing trainings for farmers to you know uh, farmer activists who've been leading movements for decades you know so um, a cross section of people who when we compared when we write down notes and when we try and put everything together at the end of the day are uh, saying m- 
nearly nearly 100% the same thing in terms of their reflections of how this ban this badly thought out ban um impacted them in the short term but also what it's going to spell out for themselves and the whole country in the long term at let's start off actually with the with the hamantori district because i know that while the sentiment regarding the fertilizer ban was more or less the same across the country there were some differences in how people were sort of experiencing it and there's there's a diversity of uh, not just opinion but also diversity in how these people are cultivating what kind of crops they're growing uh the kind of crop rotation they're doing the kind of crop rotation they're not doing uh in the case of some areas so I'd actually like to start with uh day 1 uh we left early morning we got to Hamantota by about 8:30 in the morning we managed to meet three groups of uh farmers there most of the farmers we met in Hamantota were in and around the Mamadela area and uh they uh farm what you call minor irrigation Uh, so this is unlike your major irrigation projects like Mahavali or Galloya. These are minor irrigation schemes, small, relatively smaller tanks uh, that are fed, and they actually do a bit of crop rotation as well. Where in between seasons they grow crops like mung beans, for example. But uh, the farmers that we met in Hambantota across the board, uh, what they were saying is that they were experiencing uh, major losses in their crops. uh there was also at the time we visited them there was a the problem of uh fuel yeah. which had kind of exacerbated the problem yeah and i think it was at that point that we realized that the time we had chosen to do this journey was where the struggle of the fertilizer ban was overlapping with the ongoing fuel shortage so you have the farmers saying things like you know you want to cultivate but then you have to spend hours in a queue for diesel for your tractor yeah or you need to harvest and um you know you can't afford the diesel for the harvesting machine because it's now caught it now costs through the roof to do that and one of the things that really struck me as well was the number of fields that we uh, passed where they had harvesters sort of just parked there and you can see that the the paddy is ripe ready yeah. to be uh reaped yeah and uh there's no fuel for the harvesters yeah and i think we stopped and spoke to uh the gentleman harvesting one field who said that and we were told that you know it was it was just a day or two away from the paddy being falling over collapsing falling, yeah. yes being unusable and it had gotten this delayed because they had been unable to procure uh or and being un- been unable to afford uh, diesel for the harvester Yeah. And we, uh, something else that we note, noted when speaking to these farmers as well is that so throughout this process the government came up with various schemes to substitute uh, as substitutes for fertilizer. Uh there was a so-called organic fertilizer that was put in the market and something that really struck me speaking to farmers in Hambantota was that in uh, at least the ones that purchased organic fertilizer was that in the fertilizer that they bought at a premium mind you they were finding shards of glass pieces of rubber tires heavily problematic stuff something that really struck out i think was for me was we were talking to um a group of farmers and they said you know our culture our culture is built around hospitality 
you know you welcome someone to the house or you gather with people even in the field and you share a meal and now because of the circumstances you know the mix of there not being enough crop for you at your just at your disposal because you've sold most of it between that and the high prices of things um you have kind of forced to be selfish so that culture of sharing food it's not that you don't want to it's just that it's become extremely difficult to be that generous as generous as they usually are and this also translated into when we asked the question okay so is it possible to actually because we saw the harvesters uh, by the fields basically idle and we asked is it impossible to do this by hand and they said look again there's that problem you got a they the labor isn't available but even if you were able to get the laborers you've still got to pay them you've got to feed them you've got to it's a whole process yeah. and you could end up actually spending a lot more yeah in uh, cutting the crop than you would by actually make by actually selling it uh another thing that we also encountered though with these farmers is that they were also quite stunned by the sudden nature mm. of this ban uh i think there was also across an expectation the on their across the board across all of the districts that we visited there was an expectation on their part that this would have been something that was done over a period of many yes. years a decade or more so you change over each season you yeah. start with 25% organic in this season and 15 in the next and you kind of see how it works yeah. out you let the soil get used to it you learn from your mistakes of one season going into the next one but that didn't happen we know that didn't happen that was their expectation um moving on from south to east well south east to be more exact we went to uh, samanthore in samanthore we met with uh, a group of farmers uh, just before they were actually scheduled to meet with a public official i think the divisional secretariat and uh, again they had a similar element that they had used uh, fertilizer stocks that they had they had just finished uh, just before the fuel crisis the fuel shortage really uh, hit was when uh, their harvest season was so they were able to harvest much of their fields but again the yields were down yes. uh, ranging from 20 to 40% depending yes. on basically how much fertilizer they were able to use in these yeah. fields and um so we noticed i had been to the area a couple of months ago and i remember seeing the field the waterways that run through the fields being kind of full and flowing you know and we arrived now and it's on the on the border of a new season beginning and these waterways are running dry and what the farmers told us was that you know we don't we don't have the fertilizer or the you know we the kind field. of or or the fuel to plow the fields to ha- um to you know make them ready for cultivation so we've told the irrigation department irrigation coming from the galoya uh, scheme from serenaika samudra we've told them to kind of to hold hold back the water this time you know don't open the flood gates because As there's yet. there's no crop that needs it we can't cultivate it basically yeah and one of the uh, another factor that struck us is which kind of differed from hambantota is that there was no crop rotation of any kind it's uh, they grow rice and again uh, something else to mention as well is that in both these areas the farmers that we spoke to they grow uh, these high yield varieties which are like 
I think in Samantha it was a BG94 and in Hamantota it was AT. the AT variant that so AT BG basically just s- signifies which okay. agricultural research center it came yeah. from AT being Ambalantota BG being Batalangot and that then brought up the question which we had answered last last week which is that you know organic doesn't really work with these seeds that are kind of designed to be used with fertilizer so let's get back to why there is no crop rotation happening in the samantri area um so and i think uh, nadim is probably better poised to answer this but it's in samantri at least i noticed it's it's a case of you have someone owning vast swaths swaths is the word i think you know just endless fields of land but it's given on an agreement for someone else to cultivate that was something else that we noticed that uh, differed which is that you have uh, these paddy field owners and then you have the farmers who kind of work with them either on a profit share or on a you get a share of the crop i get a share of the crop basis uh, which we didn't really see in the hamantote district again another reason that there was a crop rotation was that for say in other places you grow rice in one season and in the shoulder season you would grow say vegetables or something but we were told is that it's not possible to grow anything in that in between season because of the elephants that roam through that mm. area so you could try it probably would just mean that your crop would be torn to pieces by these hungry giants in a second so it in that kind of off season um no cultivation takes place in those fields something else that we experienced in both these areas is that there was a difference in how the state agriculture department and irrigation department infrastructure actually interacts with the farmers we witnessed a greater a higher level of interaction in that samantra area but in hamantota it was a different story hmm. uh it ranged from or oh, they don't visit the fields anymore to they even visit. if they come there's no point and their advice is of no use and their no, advice no is of no use. use to us during this time when we were planning whether to stay in samantura or go to walapane one of the things that influenced our decision was that at, it was at the same time that a state of emergency had been declared and curfew, curfew was <laughs> being imposed at 6 o'clock that evening so we decided to hightail it from samantura all the way to walapane belated shout out to the gentleman who drove us on this 1600 kilometer journey yeah uh, yeah uh, in spite we- of everything that was going on i think the protests were stepping into high gear at this time uh and so we ended up then in walapane we managed to get there uh just after curfew i think a few wild elephants on the road there uh but otherwise without incident now the next day morning we uh were introduced to the chore of climbing trapsing through the hills uh and of course to the beauty of uh, terraced um, paddy fields and yeah. this thing so a completely different kind of agriculture to what we had seen with the yeah. minor and major irrigation in the hamantota and then yeah. in uh, some in mamadland and samantra in walapane we were introduced to uh, we were yeah. able to see what was happening with the uh, the terraced paddy fields yeah. and, and now here it was at a different stage in cultivation yeah. it had been planted but it hadn't yet ripened the, yeah. the harvest hadn't yet ripened it was a complete uh, 
visual departure from what we just come from right from flat land for miles to um very cut into the mountains um you know and layers and green, layers of it very, very green, green stalks it yeah. very green and you would think oh this is this is great this you know this is looks growing well looks bountiful that's the word exactly it looks bountiful but then as we were shown by the gentleman showing us around you know he was like just look into this green abundance and like show me where you can see the actual paddy grains yeah when I mean, you stop right. and you look for you know a pretty sizable chunk of the green you would see one two stalks of actual paddy seeds so it looks bountiful but it's just the kind of grass that's growing yeah right uh, you're missing out on the actual paddy and and something else he told us was that you know the seed is growing in such a way that and it's and it's the whole thing has kind of gotten imbalanced because of the use of um, a different kind of fertilizer that it's now you know it's where earlier it would have been in harmony with the rain cycle now it's kind of gotten altered because of all the challenges they faced with um, you know with everything so now like it's at a stage where if it rains now the whole will not hold but the what little of little of the actual grain there is could get completely washed away and be completely you know not used um So that was the impact as far as like terrace paddy was concerned there they were yet to harvest at that point but from what we could see and what the farmers were telling us they weren't expecting much of a harvest because in that sea of green you had very few actual paddy uh, stalks or like paddy growing in it was mostly grass uh, something else that we witnessed different in so this is in the norelia district walapani norelia district as you know famed for its vegetables uh, we actually met with a vegetable farmer uh, who happened to be a, a military veteran uh, who'd set up as a farmer just a few years ago uh, and his was the farm sort of almost at the top of the mountain that we had to climb uh we eventually made it then in uh, these discussions with Kaluaya as he's known in the village uh we really saw the impact that this ban has had even beyond uh the actual paddy itself uh because we uh, in his potato fields in all of his fields is the same but he was he and two others were actually harvesting the potato at this time and in the potato fields it's is like he was showing us the the, the ones that he put in the big sort of uh, roots the tubers that he put in and the tiny uh, potatoes that he'd gotten as a result of it and mm. uh, he said that it's essentially no harvest because yeah. it's by the time you got a bag the, for a bag exactly by the time you account for the costs and the labor that goes into it you have it you've just broken even like this and it's the same across all of his other crops as well whether it was carrots uh i think there was also brinjals uh all of the crops that he had were facing the same uh problems and beyond that uh the inability to actually spend the money to procure the required weedicides or insecticides pest control Uh, had also affected and he was showing us uh, many of his plants were suffering from uh, yeah. a fungus and he had purchased a kind of compost maker and he was showing us you know the fact that he had 
uh, tried made an attempt yeah and i think this is a uh, this is across the board where when told to switch a lot of farmers did put in the effort to make that switch so in case anyone wants to assume that they sat around and just waited that is not the case the, but this is the thing we came across so many farmers who actually invested in the infrastructure required to run semi major composting yes. facilities so that they could produce compost not only for them but maybe even sell the community yeah. to the community and uh, what he was saying is that you know you need to purchase and you need to say if you want to make 1 kilo of compost you need to purchase 3 kilograms of the raw materials you need you know on purchase or organic acquire, matter you need the yeah. purchase or acquire the, and you know that's money and effort and maybe access that was difficult for him at the time and uh, you know they told us you know we and we are glad that you came and talked to us but he said there are farmers who are so who are so badly affected and who are so angry at the government for this decision and their lack of any accountability for it that they he said you know you won't be even allowed into those areas they just chase you off kind of thing um that's and that's the reality of it that it has hit people extremely hard so fair enough i suppose so that was basically the tale of walopani then from walopani we moved on to the polonnaruwa district with a quick stopover at the dambulla economic center to see if produce was actually coming through and at the time there was uh, produce that was coming through being transported uh, we spoke to uh, two or three traders at the dambulla economic center uh, there was some concern about what the future holds uh, obviously we we'd love the opportunity to go back and speak with them again mm-hmm. now that uh, the yeah. impact is Sitting. becoming very clear but at the time uh, while there was still some produce coming through uh, they yeah, were hopeful they about- were um things like the increasing cost of bringing things in from further mm. away you know they seem to be more concerned with the actual fuel uh, costs going up yeah. and the logistical nightmare that food transportation has become. become yeah uh and then we moved on to the Polonnaruwa district to Madrigiria uh, more specifically so this is within the Maha Valley zone so again major irrigation a uh, far cry from what's being done in the other three districts as uh, the other three areas that we visited so while polonnaruwa was more similar to uh, the situation we saw in the ampara district it's also very different because again when it comes to how the ownership of the land works and how uh, farmers actually work with the land there were there were some differences but again in the absence of the fertilizer there was immense crop loss yeah. uh, and we actually met with these farmers at a uh, uh, a project that had been initiated uh, under the previous administration of uh, yeah. Maithipala Sirisena president Maithipala Sirisena and some of which them was targeted at promoting organic back then yes. as well and the interesting thing is that many of them said you know they referred with praise back to that project because they say it equipped them for this ban this fertilizer ban in a way that this government didn't basically that that project initiated you know through uh, UNDP UNDP you know it was a it was your traditional grant funded short term project but um it had given them uh, act- 
actual understanding of going organic the process they had been taken through ways of you know ways of switching um how you need to build up this platform within your you know field and garden to actually get a good harvest and they you know they they had praise for it they said some of us switched at least 50% of our cultivation to organic after that and that's how we were able to <clears throat> make it through you know gain some uh, gain some harvest during this period as well um, but of course that you know project cha- projects change when regimes change and uh, that fell through so again yeah. we went from gradual step by step approach to this overnight blanket ban and uh, another another sort of factor that sets apart the farmers in the Polonnaruwa district from or at least agriculture in the Polonnaruwa district from the rest of the areas that we visited was the prevalence of CKDU chronic kidney disease of unknown uh, etiology uh, and the links that have been drawn by uh, certain individuals in the political medical arena yeah and it's i think it's fair to call it the political medical sure. arena and i think it's important to remember to anyone who isn't who doesn't know this is that the president or whatever rajapaksa mentioned you know he tweeted it out at least that you know the fertilizer ban chemical fertilizer ban would was because or that would help address the rising rates of ckdu in sri lanka and um Polonnaruwa has been kind of consistently one of the areas that has um high had the higher of numbers CKDU. of CKDU and we were talking you know when we talked to some of the farmers there some of them said you know our fathers have had then they've died of CKDU but we know that it's not from the fertilizer alone there are issues like hard water you know that uh, yeah, arises with heavy water um that come in as well and at we were at, we are at a point in the food crisis in this agricultural crisis where one of them said you know you'd rather die of ckdu than die of starvation at this point actually what we heard from the farmers in the polonnaruwa district tracks back to what we were being told um, on last week's episode of the dog house by professor marambe who said look you can draw a causal relationship between any two factors you can look at uh, the increasing imports of motor vehicles into the country lay that chart over a chart of increasing uh, paddy yields and uh, try to draw links between them yeah but that's a reach so similarly while he was saying look you can't there is research that has been done on this which says that look this is not necessarily uh, what is causing cdu but in a sense quackery is what drove this yeah. policy and speaking to farmers in the polonnaruwa district actually this really became evident to us yeah. because we also met with a farmer in the Polonnaruwa district who has gone completely uh, organic uh, starting with the seeds themselves traditional uh, seeds with the traditional seeds like your kurlutudar and your hinnati uh, so he's actually managed to source those heirloom seeds and or grow organic them. with them or, yeah. Yeah, or make them and uh, grow uh, go completely organic and what even he was telling us uh, was that look it took me i a think long, was it 10 15 years a, yeah a long a time a very long time to prepare the, the earth to earth actually be to to actually to organic yeah, you know to it's actually not something you can on do 
when you decide in a, in a, in a couple of hours or in a couple of months um, yeah i think that and i think one of the things that he said is look yields are not uh, as uh, not the same as what you're getting with your fertilizer but then i'm uh, growing for a different market essentially yes. wisdom that uh, could have come in very handy at the very highest echelons of our government moving on to jaffna let's start with the paddy farmers that we met in jaffna now they didn't have access to buffer stocks of fertilizer or reserve stocks of fertilizer that they could use so that's where we saw at least with this rain fed paddy fields running on uh, not much assistance from the state uh, they had actually built their own uh, little tank yeah. uh, to feed their paddy fields uh, but they had at least from what we heard from the farmers we met over that maha season these farmers these farmers had the most the harshest uh, sure. the most severe the severest crop losses sure. this one farmer that we spoke to one and a quarter acres that he cultivates on uh, usually he gets about 20 sacks of paddy from about 20 sacks he's down to two sacks uh, without fertilizer so that's something that really drove drove it home for us mm. and um, i think this is you know this is personally interesting and otherwise but we were talk- we were went met someone who grows grapes right and they were showing us you know how they know that at least the over the last couple of years the crop has grown used to urea so it's very difficult to get you know um, proper proper yield without it and these are also very small scale producers right this was a lady growing them and selling them in her home and the price to grow and therefore the price to buy it from her has now nearly doubled um the area that we visited uh, we need to notice that it's on the border of the valikamam north area so in this is words, all of the farmlands that we visited fall into that valikamam well northeast west yes. uh, south valikamam which makes are, takes up a chunk of the peninsula but something we did notice is that so this is very prime agricultural land where you get that the, red uh, the soil, soil like the red soil and these are also um just on the border or what previously would have been part of the palali kks high security zone right so that's not mean that's a huge other topic in itself but we need to note that some of the most fertile land in the peninsula is still under military occupation, occupation right so the entire the like the land inwards from the kks beach up until where it is released now valikam uh, telipade these are all extremely fertile areas so and you know things that we've heard from people in other you know in other capacities is that sometimes the military makes use of the fertility of the land and they grow and they they are selling and they are making profits of the lands that people used to cultivate that people should have access to cultivate ideally as well um and this is like a huge swath of land that we're talking about right this is like nadim said you know the most fertile block within the peninsula and you know this comes up to the topic of why there is there why we noted the hesitation among people to talk about to talk to i mean understandably to people who rock up and you know have questions about government policies because of this literally massive 
military presence in Jaffna as there is kind of across the north. So that's something to keep in mind and maybe think about. Um, yeah. And another another uh, crop that we observe being growing uh, in abundance in the areas that we visited uh, was actually tobacco. Uh, where this is not uh, to be clear this is not that uh, farmers switched to growing tobacco when the organic policy was brought in this had been happening over a period of time and they supply uh, because it's quite a profitable business to uh, grow tobacco but there were there were some laments from some of the tobacco farmers that that we met with that they're not getting uh, i mean they're making more money but again their costs are high when it comes to farming as well. I mean there were a couple of things that we noted that were common for the most part across these areas and one was like Nadim said you know we the farmers said we had a little bit of buffer stock of fertilizer to tide us through that season. Um now the next season and this that season they're referring to is the, the Maha season the Maha season that finished and now we're in the Yala the season Yala, so they were saying you know now when the Yala season comes in um, it's probably going to get worse for them but then we also have seen a shift in government policy and uh, these imports of agriculture of fertilizer coming in so um, you know maybe in a couple of months we'll get back to you <laughs> and see how things have turned since the since the change if it changes um another thing was that youth you know like uh, does agriculture hold any promise for the youth in these areas and for for the most part many people said no and that was not only because of the ban um that was kind of maybe society is changing over time and there were more young people looking for work in cities overseas as well um but that the ban had kind of really driven home to them that you know this is not a field that we can sustainably uh, carry on our own lives with i think in walapane and hamantota one of the things we noticed that younger people were opting for uh, work either overseas or in the cities or in factories yeah and i mean those come with their own problems so you have to ask you know this if people are getting stuck between two difficult places um and one thing was that um that was that was really interesting because we I, and we've talked about this in the article that's going to going to come on soon is that the Sri Lankan government has always intervened in agriculture successive Sri Lankan government and this is this is something that pretty much all of the farmers that we met yes. with highlighted is like yes. look everything starting everything from starting from 62. the types of seeds we grow the n- amount of fertilizer we put in the fact that we use these fertilizers you it all stems to government intervention yes. you said do this you said do that you said grow it this way you said put this much fertilizer in and now you've basically we told stopped. us to stop all of that and do a complete u turn in one night Yeah. And um yeah, so basically they said, you know, any 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 bad impact anything is they are answerable because that decision came from them. And then just to wrap it uh, just to wrap up this episode because we're we're coming short on time as well. Uh the most recent admission of uh, I don't want to say admission of guilt because they didn't sound very guilty while making this admission. It was an admission that we'd made a mistake. 
and this came from uh, the finance the former finance minister who uh, resigned as a parliamentarian yesterday uh, mr basil rajapaksa let's have a listen to what he had to say on this matter at the press conference yesterday utsayak gatta pohora pavichiya rasayanaka pohora pavichi nokara me rate nishpadita pohora walin meka karanna puluwanda kiyala eka man hitanne weraduna ඒ වැරදීම උත්සාහයක් ගැනීම සහ වැරදීමයි උත්සාහ අරගෙන වැරදීමයි කියන එක මේ මේ වැරදිනා මම හිතන්නේ අපේ රටේ කිසිම නව නිපයුමක් හෝ නව උත්සාහයක් ගන්නේ නැහැ so that was basically mr basil rajapaksa saying uh, you know uh, i think it sounded like he was trying to say it's trial and error <laughs> uh that you know you have to try if you want to succeed and sometimes you fail i wasn't very clear on the message he was trying yeah. to get across when he said that it was a mistake but it almost sounded like that there was a but <laughs> as a caveat um, uh but you got to try and sometimes you fail um, but if trial and error is your approach to policy making uh that might not be the best thing I just want to add before we leave is that something else that came up across the board is this issue of compensation because it has been promised multiple times by multiple figures in the agricultural sphere and we've written about it in this article as well where the government has promised you know 50,000 hectare 50,000 rupees per hectare to farmers who are cultivating and when we asked the farmers about this it was anywhere between um no we have not seen a cent of it to others saying we had not even been informed that we were that this was a thing <laughs> and we are not sure if we are eligible for it and you know uh, when we come to things like the protests in golfes you see farmers asking for one you know one didi or give us our compensation so it remains to be seen uh whether this will be paid or how it will be paid if at all um something to keep an eye out for because it's just another measure in the complete lack of accountability that this government has taken for this terrible terrible decision it's important to note that long before these most recent spate of protests kicked off yeah. the farmers have been protesting against this decision from the day it was announced back in april last year uh, farmers were among the first to come out in protest against uh, policy decisions that have been taken by uh, the administration of president gotabaya rajapaksa and on that note on that sobering note we'll uh, wrap up this episode of the dog house the coming months are going to be very difficult in terms of the country's food security uh, judging by as we as you've just heard what we heard from farmers around the country what we've heard from agronomists like professor budimarambe uh crop losses in this yellow season are going to be massive much more than uh what they were in the maha season uh it's the window of opportunity in which you could have sort of applied for like tried to save the crop has eventually closed i think i think uh, uh something that professor marmi mentioned that not a lot of people are looking at is that our corn maize maize crops are falling by anywhere from 70 to 75%. So, um you want to know how that impacts you, you might not be able to have a chicken rice and curry in the very near future. It might become a luxury. 
might have to start importing your chicken. On that note, we wrap up this episode of The Doghouse. Thank you for listening in. Don't forget to look us up on our socials. You'll find us at Team Watchdog on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, uh, also on TikTok. Goodbye and good luck. <coughs>